everybody get your phones out or at least know how to go on um, our website because I've got a lot of announcements coming up. Um, the Connect card in the back of your pew, if you're new here or fairly new here and you haven't ever filled out one of these, fill out one of these and you can drop it off at our Welcome Center. But on the back, if you have a prayer need, um, we ask you to fill that out. Let us know what your need is. Every um, Friday night we have prayer here. and We pray over these cards. We take these cards. We look at these cards and we pray over that specific need. We are um, purging them out every month. So if you put in a card a month or so ago and that need has not been met, feel free to fill this out again. Um, last Sunday, uh, Larry had a friend that came in and her daughter was missing. And she asked Larry to, to just pray that, that they could find this child. And um, later on after he got home, I don't know if it was Sunday or Monday, she texted Larry this. She said, good morning, Larry. Please let my Bethel friends know that God answered our prayer. I'm so thankful for you guys embracing me and praying for this child who is going through such a confused state in her life, and Satan is certainly after her. I am so glad we serve a God who loves us and cares for us, and he wants us to, be, to come before him with our needs. Thank you. So I do encourage you. Um, this is a praying church. Um, if you have a need and you put it on this card, rest, rest assured that, that we are praying for your need. Um, quickly, the announcements, April 6th, Monday, Thursday, Chris and Kristen will be here as, for a floating communion from 5.30 to 7. So if you are here in town and you are free, drop in and take communion. Um, April 8th, 10 a.m., we have an Easter egg hunt. Bring your kids, bring your grandkids, bring your neighbor's kids, pick up some kids on the road, I don't know. Um, there's going to be some very special eggs um, that's going to be hidden, and that's all I'm going to say about that. It's very exciting, so make sure you bring every child you know, um, from littles all the way up to sixth grade. April 8th at 4 p.m., we're going to have a flash choir practice. If you haven't signed up and you can halfway sing, I don't think it's too late to sign up, but... April 8th, 4 p.m. in the sanctuary. April 9th, Easter Sunday, um, there's going to be a light breakfast. So we'll start that at 9.30. Invite. I feel like we have to invite 10 people to just to get one person to show up. So that's your charge this week. Go invite for Sunday. April 29th, Women's Empowerment Conference here at Bethel from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Women, go ahead and put that on your schedule. Tell your husband, tell your parents, whatever, keeping the kids. Um, Friday night prayer and communion, every Friday night at 7 p.m. Then Wednesday night will be pastor's last um, study on um, Psalm 23. So come and make sure you finish that out. And then the following Sunday, we'll start the study of Mark. That's it. Good morning, Bethel. It's so good to be with you in the house of the Lord today. I can say, standing before you this Palm Sunday, I have never been more excited about a Sunday sermon. King Jesus is the title of the sermon. And for some of you, uh, I want to hope to make this very clear. This kind of struck me as we were singing this morning. I know, Colin, you have your own story like this, but as we were singing the wonder-working power of the blood, um, I know there was a story of me telling my dad one time, I just wanted to know who was Wanda. 
who was Wanda. It's a different, it's a different, <laughs> a different wonder-working power than what we sang this morning, but what I do pray is that every word today would be very clear, and of course that God would speak through me this morning. Isaiah 62 and verse 11, we'll start off this morning. You can kind of keep the flipping to a minimal if you'd like. You can jump to Mark 11. That's where we'll spend the majority of our time today, and you can let Alex do the heavy lifting back there. Uh, but Isaiah 62, 11 says, look, the Lord announces to the entire earth, say to daughter Zion, look, your deliverer comes. Look, his reward is with him, and his reward goes before him. So the first question I'd like to give you is, what is Palm Sunday? I don't want to take anything for granted this morning because I know, you know, even myself, I didn't always know what Palm Sunday was, right? So Easter, we talk about, a lot of people associate the cross and the resurrection with Easter, but a week prior to that, you have this season where you have all the beginning of what we call Passion Week or Holy Week start where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, And this is where we can look more clearly than anywhere else as far as a physical event that has happened where Jesus is allowing himself to be recognized as king. He says, yes, yes, I will receive your worship and I'm going to ride in on a donkey fulfilling so many prophecies. We'll look at some of those this morning. And it's one of the most powerful times of joy and celebration that we can point to surrounding Jesus in Scripture. And so this morning, I want to look at a few things, but I want to mention that I won't be able to cover everything this morning. The last couple of years, we've done a few different things on Palm Sunday. I'll make mention that next year, we'll have Chosen People Ministries back for Palm Sunday. They were here last year, if you remember the Seder meal that we had on a Sunday morning. This is the actual Passover celebration, the, the meal that takes place. Of course, we had a a truncated version, you know, for Sunday morning purposes. And so that was what we had last year. A couple years ago, it's interesting to think how much has changed in this course of the pandemic and whatnot. But two years ago, Pastor Larry Smith preached a sermon. You can go find it on the website. It's called The Lamb, the Colt, and the Gate. And if you want to go search for that, you can find all the prophecies that are tied to this event. I won't go through all of them this morning regarding the Lamb, the Colt, and the Gate. But I hope to still bring to you the impact the impact of what these prophecies mean for us, and to see really the power that is tied up in Palm Sunday. And the fact that Jesus said, yes, I am the king of the Jews, but I am the king for all people. And when you come to the cross, you are now changing the entire course of your life. You, what was dead is now alive, and you have freedom forevermore. Amen? All right, Zechariah 9.9 is the main uh, prophecy I want to just at least acknowledge this morning before we get a text in Mark. And the verse reads, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's legitimate and victorious. Humble and riding on a donkey. On a young colt, the foal of a female donkey. This passage, again, comes from Zechariah. Zechariah, if you're familiar with it or not, is a challenging book. It's, it's one that is full of all kind of, of rich images and prophecies. It's one that can be a struggle, but this verse seems very clear. Does it not? And that's what makes this event of Palm Sunday so powerful in that we see something take place that has so much meaning 
If you look at Zechariah as a whole, I'd like to read to you just a, a brief snippet about Zechariah itself. The book is 14 chapters, and this is really the pivot point of the entire book. Chapter 1 through 8 envisions a future rooted in the return from the Babylonian exile. This was written after all of the Israelites had been taken. You have this, this, this dark time where the people are not sure what's going on. They, they, they have these promises of God, but they're seeing that these things are not being fulfilled the way they expected. But the book talks about a reorganization of Judean life around the temple. And then in chapter 9, it changes, and it anticipates the ultimate full restoration of Israel, the return of all the exiles, and the final participation of all nations in recognizing Yahweh's sovereignty as human history comes to a climax and is transformed into a truly sacred society. Again, with the center of the new order being Jerusalem and its temple. And we had a great series last year on the Ten Commandments. And you can see that God's moral standard of living is not explicitly stated within the book, but it's implied. And the way the scripture is handled promotes the prophetic, all that would spring forward into the New Testament, this kind of conglomerate use of Old Testament, similar to the way Revelation handles it. And Zechariah 9 is as pure as any poetic text in the entire book. Now, if you've, if you've studied this at all, you'll know that Zechariah 9, I'm just giving you that one verse because the rest of it, again, is a lot bigger than just him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. But I wanted to bring this before you this morning and acknowledge that there's so much going on here just tied up in a single, simple donkey. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you that you are on the throne God, we thank you that you are the king, that you have set yourself above all the powers of darkness, Lord, that you have, through humility, God, bore the cross, and that you have purchased, God, victory for us today. God, I thank you for this opportunity to stand before you and be your herald. Lord, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would do your work today, that you would bring the death to life, and that you would minister, God, in your people today a new work, that you would give us your eyes, Lord, that you would help us to see, Lord, God, your plan not just for us, but for your world, and that we would trust you in all things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So again, Mark 11, one, verses 1 through 11 is where we'll spend our time this morning. But before, before we read it, I want to just mention this concept of the donkey. I chose this telling of the account just because of kind of the simple nature of the way Mark gives it. And there's such focus on this donkey being singled out. But I was wondering kind of what is kind of the precedent in Scripture going forward, like but prior to this. I did not realize that Isaac himself, Abraham, the promised child, way back in Genesis 22, rode a donkey as a father was set to sacrifice the promised son. Isaiah Isaiah specifically, the verse we spoke out, there's tons of Christ prophecies here, but even Isaac in this moment is a type of Christ. We see, we've heard stories about Abigail, and we know that even with Jacob, donkeys were used to bring gifts. We know that donkeys were used in a symbol of judgment at times. You're familiar with Balaam. Okay, so there were times where there was judgment involved. Even today's passage, we won't focus on the judgment, but as the tables were flipped in the temple, there was still a judgment of sorts that was happening to the Pharisees and all that would go forward in that moment. Isaac, uh, uh, Alex, if you would put up Genesis 49, 
just briefly look at this verse. In the prophecy in Genesis, this is not a part of our Genesis series, but I just took this as so striking. The messianic prophecy at the end of Genesis has a connotation of this as well. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until he comes to whom it belongs, the nations will obey him. We'll be talking about a cult this morning. Look at verse 11. Binding his foal to the vine and his colt to the choicest vine. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. I'll leave that up there just for a minute, just to marinate on how strong Christ is in that verse. There were times that donkeys were lost, but God knew where they were. Saul was out looking for donkeys, and all of a sudden he was anointed king. Had no idea that's what was about to happen. There was a woman that rode quickly on a donkey to Elisha when her prophesied son, this son of promise, had died, and we know he'd be raised to life as well. But this morning, we're going to look at a donkey that Jesus rode, a donkey's colt specifically, that had never, never been ridden. Would you look with me finally to Mark 11? And we're going to be looking, first of all, at the first seven verses. Starting in verse 1. Mark 11. Now as they approached Jerusalem, near the Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here soon. So they went and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and untied it. Some people standing there said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? They replied as Jesus had told them, and the bystanders let them go. And just for a brief moment, the obedience of the disciples. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. I know when I first read this passage some years ago, I was troubled at the idea of them, you know, like stealing this colt. Like, what is going on? And as I've been to study it this week, looking into all the different implications of it, apparently there's a, a thought in this time frame that they would have been familiar with called Angaria. It's something that was in the culture. It was something the Romans used. They actually adopted it from the Persians. But it was this idea that animals could just be impressed into service at order of the king. The king needs it. I thought about mentioning, Brother Matt, if, if Cooper was available to be just impressed into service this morning. I don't know that he'd be ready for that, or if you'd be really ready to give him up for, for such a cause. But, you know, we all have our animals and our ideas. This is something that they would have been used to. But, but why, would, why would the king want a colt, an untrained donkey? Doesn't make any sense in the natural, right? It makes absolutely no sense. But the owners agree to it. And not to mention how odd this would have been. These are not wealthy people, right? Jesus' disciples were the lowest of the class. 
And these people are saying, the Lord needs it. What are you talking about? But here they go, they give up the donkey. And they go and they throw their cloaks on it. And they settle. And I begin to think in my own, my own infinite wisdom, far from it, how differently I would have done it if I was in charge. I thought to myself, certainly I would have wanted the donkey to be trained, to be mature. I was talking to Christy about this, and she was like, I would have bought a horse. <laughs> I was like, sure, right. I mean, I would have at least, you know, purchased the donkey myself, right? And so to have it to be mature and to have it to have all the dots covered, if you know me, I, I maybe not be the strongest on planning, but I do like to plan. Those of you that went through the Bible plan a few years ago, you know, like I, I, I enjoy some structure and the planning. And, but the problem is I would have totally missed the mark here. Because even though mine would have been better prepared, I would have totally missed out on all the pure and holy implications of the sacrifice that was being set up. That Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would sit on this donkey that was wholly prepared, that it had not been touched, it had not been trained. It's literally the Holy Spirit himself that breaks in this donkey. The master's touch, if you will, where he would just sit on a donkey, and it, it, you can look at the word even as having implied that this is kind of a, a masculine baby donkey, one that would have been unnaturally calm. It would not have, it would not have made sense for this donkey just to, to let Jesus ride on him. But how many of you know we serve the Prince of Peace? And if it wasn't for the humble implications here, he could have chosen a rhinoceros or any kind of wild animal, and it would have behaved in the same manner. But the point was to fulfill the prophecy, to fulfill all that had gone forward. And again, there's more than just one prophecy here. I've gone through a few of them. There are more. When the people were out on the street, they were singing out another prophetic word. Let's read the next few verses, and we'll get to that. Starting again in verse 8, and we'll go ahead and read through verse 11. Many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread branches they had cut in the field. Both those who went ahead and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And after looking around at everything, he went out to Bethany with the 12 since it was already late. So that word Hosanna that we're familiar with, it really comes from Psalm 118 and verse 25. Psalm 118 and verse 25. And it's kind of a conglomerate of two thoughts. It's like excitement and concern. Please, Lord, deliver. Please, Lord, grant us success. And this word Hosanna is, again, like saying, yes, he's here, but also like, Lord, save us at the same time. And this verse, this is just one verse out of about 85 verses that the children of Israel would have been so familiar with. They would have sung it every year with the celebration of the Passover, if you don't know all that's involved there, they're celebrating year after year what God has done for the people in rescuing them from Egyptian bondage. 
And so Psalms 113 through 118 have been associated with just this Passover season. And in this great text, sometime back I preached on the cornerstone, verse 22 of the same psalm. You have all these messianic ideas that are encapsulated in what God has already done for them, but they know that it's not quite fulfilled yet, and they're looking for that to happen. And so then in this moment, Jesus is allowing them to worship him as the messianic fulfillment for what God's plan has always been. This is the first time without question that on this mass scale, there is no more secrecy. There's no more, oh, my time is not yet. Or yes, you can know this, you can see this miracle. No, he's saying anyone and everyone. And see, I'm so short-sighted. Who's to say that I would have not totally missed it in that moment? The Pharisees cried out, what are you doing? And his response to them in Luke 19 and 40, you can put that up, Alex, is that even the rocks would cry out if he did not receive this worship at this time. The rocks would cry out. Yes, the inanimate, created, really the kind of the least spectacular part of creation, if you would think about it. The rocks would cry out if it were not. Preaching on the cornerstone, I spoke about the living stones. And that's what he's called us to be, as a part of his temple, a part of his body, but he said, no, 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 if you would not worship me, just the literal rocks would cry out. And so this morning, as we step into this, there's one main point I want you to receive this morning. Because there's power in what we're talking about here, but so often we miss it because we have our own ideas. And so Alex, if you put that up, there is power in simply yielding, which is repentance and trust, when we yield to God's plan, there is power in that. And we don't always understand, right, the end result. The disciples didn't understand what was going to happen Easter Sunday morning. Even though they had been told, it took a long time for that to really sink in and for them to understand what was going on. In our lives, we think we have it all figured out, but so often Jesus knows the full picture and he only gives us the next step. And in such a way that we have to take that in faith. We feel an urge and a prompting. And we're like, God, that doesn't make any sense. I know you've promised healing, but I just can't step into that. Whatever it might be, right, is something that so, seems so unattainable, but God gives it to us in such a way that we don't understand the full picture and we still need faith to walk into trust in him. So this morning, as we think about this, I want you to know there's a prophetic peace in all that God has done here. The symbol of a donkey is a powerful, powerful symbol because it's happened. This is a historical event that has taken place recorded in all four gospels. But the next time it will not be a donkey. It will be a white horse, amen? And so when you see in Revelation 19 that Jesus is coming back on the white horse, this is the same picture, except now it's the fullness. You have the judgment and the authority and the peace because if you're in Christ, this is wonderful news. And there will be those that say, deliver us, but that door, as we talked about the ark recently, the door will have been closed. And so right now, there's this prophetic peace in this moment. And all the prophecies that have led up to this point, this is the most powerful day, again, prior to the resurrection, prior to Pentecost, this is the most powerful day that we celebrate on the Christian event calendar. 
It proves that God is a promise-keeping, prophecy-fulfilling God. I didn't read to you verse 10 of Zechariah 9, but it talks about Ephraim and all these different cities and the weapons being laid down. We know that they're still not peace-fulfilled yet, right, in the world. We don't see that yet. But we don't have to worry about how God's going to accomplish that. We trust that he will accomplish that. It's not our job to bring that about. When he comes back on that white horse, it will be brought about. Amen? It's not something that we are to worry about. We're to look for it. We're to long for him to return. But it's not for us to try to figure out or to organize or to, okay, well, this has to be happened. There's a kid's song that says, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. And Hosanna and Hosanna. This idea of having oil in your lamp, that means we're to be ready. It's not our job to, to do the work ourselves. One thing I also want to point out here is the celebration. I know y'all are probably a little tired this morning. This celebration that you see in this passage, you can't even really get a picture of it. My kids got to happen to see their first buzzer beater last night. They saw the San Diego State you know, beat the, the underdog, even though they were winning the whole game. This idea of the Final Four going on in March Madness, we all have teams that, that we pull for in this area, some stronger than others and what have you. But all of our teams are out, right? But the closest thing I think I had read that you could probably compare this is something kind of like when a city gathers together and they're celebrating, right? And there's this kind of hysteria, pandemonium of sorts that people are just going crazy and some don't disagree with this should be going on and this, that, and the other, but that pales so far into comparison, right, to just a simple team winning a championship. I can tell you that that's an exciting moment, but it goes away just like that, right? Even the players that won the championship, they're automatically looking towards next year. I mean, if they want to have success, right? I mean, they can, they can revel in it and they're going to be out of a career very long. So it's just one of those things where it's such a fleeting thing. But for us, looking at the celebration, we know that there was as much celebration as any time that we can see in the scripture. And why were they celebrating? I don't fully know that they even really understood why they were celebrating, but I will tell you why they were celebrating. This was the God-man fully God and fully man. He was perfect, yet perfectly relatable. He was all-powerful, sovereign God, somehow willing to submit to being a human, completely so to where he would be able to bleed and die. That blows my mind. Even more so that he would do all of that because he loved me. Enough to where he wants a way to have a relationship with me. And if you wonder why, again, for us, as far as the application point, he wants us to be able to foster this heart of worship. To know, God, all of this I just lay aside. I'm putting it at your feet. And the same way they worshiped here in this passage, we are just to live our lives in that same worship. We're to walk in a power and excitement knowing that there is nothing, literally nothing, to fear. Neither past, nor present, nor future, there is nothing to fear. Why would you fear when such a perfect creator, sustainer, and Lord has done all this in your place? Just that you may have a chance. 
just that you may yield, that you may bow at his feet, and that you say, yes, Lord, I trust you. All this was done just so that would be possible. So how could we fear? How could we even chance to minimize what has been done by us thinking that that we have anything to worry about? Thirdly, if you do not know the gospel, I want you to know very clearly that Jesus Christ died for you on that cross. That there's nothing about what we have done that makes us worthy. Even when you accept him, you are fully justified in what he has done for you. And we walk towards the end, filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, walking and yielding to everything that he has for us. And that the gospel is totally centered on Jesus, totally centered on what the Father has done for us in the story of Scripture. And this news was exciting then, and it should be just as exciting now. I challenge you this week to be sure to invite people next Sunday to Easter. As Tammy was joking about bringing kids off the street or whatever, I challenge you to to bring people. The breakfast is a great opportunity to say, look, this is what's happening. Can you just come and be a part? Friends and fellowship, right? There are, there are things that we can do to, to encourage those of us. We know people that do not know the Lord. Amen. Several people will know the idea of Easter, have some kind of a positive connection to Easter, but this is just kind of one of the easiest entry points into the gospel that we have on the calendar. It's absolutely, some people have plans, but it's not like the plans they have on Christmas Day. I promise you that. So invite people. The gospel should be what drives us, what motivates us to step out and to talk to people, to be an encourager, to be someone that actually believes and is transformed by what we say, right? And not just say, okay, well, this is my identity here on Sundays, but then I just kind of ho-hum, you know, whatever. It should be something that just totally revolutionizes. And I pray for you this morning, if you have... Maybe you came and you just really needed an encounter with God this morning. At the altar here at the end of the service is an opportunity for you to be ministered to in whatever that way looks like. Because I will tell you this, in the same way that we have a simplicity of salvation, we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and these kind of things, but that is just as simple. In Luke, where we're given that prayer on the Holy Spirit and how we're just to trust God and not question God's motives or what he might surprisingly give us. That's the simplicity of the gospel, simplicity. And I would say even so much so we need to get out of our own thinking when it comes to order and, and structure and all these things. You look at Cornelius and Acts, God can do whatever he wants. He can take someone who's not even saved, get a hold of them, fill them with the Holy Spirit all in this one moment. It revolutionized the church in Acts. And I think sometimes we get too caught up in the way I, my theology is perfect and everything, you know, I'll tell you what's perfect about our theology is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the door. And so when you're thinking about all these things, you know that's the same door you enter for salvation, for healing, for this closer walk. And it's this morning, I challenge you at the end of the service, not just to, to look around and say, okay, well, God, maybe this person really needs you. We all need him. We all should be looking to go deeper because that morning there were so many that missed it. I don't know how many in the crowd shouted crucify him the next week, but I know that they didn't have the full picture. 
But thank God we're on this side of time and we understand it. Let's not take it for granted. Because when you really step into it, there's an empowerment. The power that I'm talking about this morning is something that we should walk in, we should live in. Him being fully God and fully man is wonderful for theology, right? But it's practically wonderful too because when we step into that, how much more emboldening and empowering for that in our walk to know that he lives within us. That should be as encouraging as anything. And we often think about God's purpose, God's purpose. What is God's purpose for my life? It's so simple. I've already talked about it today. It's to worship. It's to walk without fear. It's to understand sharing the gospel is our number one priority. And finally, it's this concept of spending time. I think time is probably our most difficult commodity today. Even with inflation, even with all this going on, I still think time is the biggest stumbling block for anyone you or I actually know on a regular basis. And that's what God wants. He wants our time. And I'm not just saying like in a real religious sense, right? Like how much have you spent in your prayer closet this week and you check in the box? It's not about that at all. He wants that relationship. And any relationship cannot be had without time. And so this morning, as the praise team comes forward and we prepare for the end, I want you to know that this morning does begin the process of a holy week, a passion week that we celebrate and we, we appreciate the honor of all that God has done in the word. But this is not just a story that we tell the kids and we wave palm branches, right? That is not the point of this. It's to be kind of an entry point into the power that we're to walk in as believers. And I believe that's true no matter what brand of Christianity you happen to ascribe to. There's unity in the body of Christ, but it just so happens that when you walk into the fullness of the power of God, I believe that, that this church does have a very balanced, right sense of doctrine. That we go about things in a way that is, is true to the word and we try to be as honoring as we can. But I think for all of us, this has to be much more of a personal thing than just wondering about, right, the churchy part of it. Because at the end of the day, that's not going to get it. And so this morning, we're going to see firm foundation. And there's such, I just almost broke down this morning when Brother Matt was sharing his testimony in the words of the song. Because I thought if there's anything to drive home this morning. And look, I believe that anything can happen this morning. Anything. That there's no miracle off the table for God. And so often we get caught up on that and, well, God, you didn't heal such and such and all these things. And so when you understand that we can still have joy in chaos and we can pray for the powerful miracle, that's where you get to the point where you can say there should be no fear whatsoever. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. But for us today, we're to walk in the fullness of the power of God, knowing that the same God that rose Jesus from the dead the power of the resurrection is today and is in the believer today. So when we gather at the altar to pray, it's not just, okay, we're doing what we're called to do. There's literally the power, the Holy Spirit power that rests in the believer to pray and intercede for one another as Jesus Christ himself intercedes for us in heaven.
So this morning, I invite you to stand. I invite you just to worship. Let's just spend a moment right here. I know, I know we'll come down to the front, but let's just spend a, a moment just worshiping God before we go any farther. I'm not doing a formal altar call this morning, but what I am doing is making the altar open if you want to respond for salvation or any other need. Take this time to go ahead and come forward. And we will all come forward in a moment, but I still want to give kind of a a faux altar call moment. The prayer altar workers will find out what your need is, but if you want to come forward for a particular prayer this morning, regardless of what it is, would you come now? You see the need. Some are already being ministered to. Altar workers would come forward. And even beyond that, if we would all come forward just to worship this morning at the altar. Do not miss this moment. I believe so with all of my heart. 
that the power of God, the beautiful thing about it, church, is there's so much power here in this place right here than there was on the streets of Jerusalem that day because the Holy Spirit has fallen. At that day, there was only a partial fulfillment. And when it comes to walking in Christian victory and this relationship with God, we have something that those people that shouted Hosanna that day did not have. So don't wish you could literally see him today when you have something so much better. Would you worship this morning?
Just continue to worship this morning. Some are still being prayed for. God, we give you praise today, Lord. We know, we trust, Lord, that you are fully able, God, to do anything so far above, God, what we can think, ask, or imagine. God, I thank you, Lord, that you love us. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have bought us with a price. Lord, the reason we come and we celebrate every Sunday morning, God, is because of what you did rising from the grave, Lord God, that Easter Sunday morning. God, and there's such excitement, Lord, knowing, Lord, that you rode through those streets, Lord, saying, yes, it is appropriate, God, that I would be worshiped. It is appropriate that when you have seen me, you've seen the Father. God, and we thank you for what you have done, that you went through such great lengths, Lord, for us. God, and so this morning we just continue to bask and worship and spend time with you. Hallelujah. This morning, we're going to soft dismiss and just continue to worship. Brother Alex has a song that I've asked him to be ready to queue up. And so if, if y'all would like to spend time at the altar as well, the praise team can, can just join in a time of worship. And again, if you'd like to go, you may. Larry may even come up and do a, a, a hard dismissal. But just continue to spend time worshiping this morning. Alex, you can go ahead and play that song. Except for my heart singing.